You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we continue our horror film discussion with Hellraiser and Gerald's Game. Here to discuss the films with me is returning guest, Mr. Cameron Rice. Hello! Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that we are proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. And we are also sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash plainlabel. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash plainlabel for your free audiobook. Mr. Cameron Rice, I'm going to assume that we are not having coffee today. What are you drinking? I have coffee every day, but uh, <laughs> no. Right now, no, I'm having a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of Jack and Coke. Just like a small, small helping. Just like a little, uh, a little taster. A little taster, that's all. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, what could I get to go along with Hellraiser? <laughs> what, what could I make that would be black? <laughs> and I could, I couldn't come up with anything. So I'm being very boring and having the traditional vodka and, uh, lime LaCroix. So. I couldn't. Ooh, I couldn't good. come up with anything that would be <laughs> that would be Hellraiser specific or even Ble- Gerald's uh, th- game. I think a uh, Bloody Mary. Oh yeah, I guess a Bloody Mary. Ooh shit! I just drank the last of that the other day too. Hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh no. Yeah, I know. I ruined it. I could have had it. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so that's what we're drinking. Let's go ahead and kick off our discussion. We're going to start in the '80s again, also from 1987, the same as uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. It is Hellraiser. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. plot synopsis goes like this and i really like this one clive barker's featured directing debut graphically depicts the tale of a man and wife who move into an old house and discover a hideous creature the man's half-brother who is also the woman's former lover hiding upstairs having lost his earthly body to a trio of snm demons the cenobites 
He is brought back into existence by a drop of blood on the floor. He soon forces his former mistress to bring him his necessary human sacrifices to complete his body, but the Cenobites won't be happy about this. <laughs> so, it. <laughs> that is the... Uh, it's the, a real family bit. It's a real National Lampoon's <laughs> so family that's vacation. The, that's exactly right. They're gonna they're gonna shame him <laughs> in a family setting at Thanksgiving. So that's Hellraiser. This is a movie that uh, you have seen very very many times, Mr. Cameron oh, yeah. Rice. Tell me about your uh, your. I guess instead of just the Hellraiser, this movie. Tell me about your kind of uh, thoughts about this franchise, but mostly focus on this movie. Also, if you're going to say my thoughts on S and M, I'm like, hey man, if you like it, <laughs> I want to judge. Two consenting adults, you do what you got to do. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think I. So the original, I think Hellraiser, like any of the other horror franchises, is like if you were born after it came out, you're kind of just it's in the your zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, like. You're always aware of it. And this is one of the posters, the original Hellraiser. That's one of those posters in the video store. Like, you were just uh, like, yes, yes. you're like, oh my God, what the hell is that kind of thing? Uh, mostly, obviously, because of Pinhead, mm-hmm. who I don't think is actually called Pinhead in this first movie. I think he's just lead, I think he's, uh, credited as lead Cinnabite. Mm. Um, I don't think he is Pinhead until part two, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think it was always in the zeitgeist. And then I remember um, this DVD that came out and when I was in high school. I'm going to look up what this DVD was called. I think it was called Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it was essentially just a series of scenes from horror movies. Some of them like very famous ones. Some of them, yes, it was. Boogeyman, the killer compilation DVD. And so it was a series of scenes from all these different horror movies. Um the uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter, Freddy Krueger, all this other stuff. The main reason I bought it, and by the way, I think this might be fun for people to get, even though it's just a collection of scenes. So people might be like, "Why do I? Why would I get that? I just go to YouTube and watch the scenes." Is uh, Robert England, Freddy Krueger, does commentary on the whole set. Oh, nice. Uh, nice which nice, was nice. the main uh, buying point for me is because I love Nightmare and I love Robert England. So I was like, "Oh, I'm buying that." Um, it sounds so a little bit. It sounds a little bit like the uh, the Bravo's Top 100 Scariest Moments kind of a thing. A little bit. This was a little bit right before, I think this was a year or two before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, Bravo did that series. But the, the scenes they would always show was the end scene of the movie. <laughs> okay. When they're strapping up Frank and all the other stuff, and then he's like, Jesus wept. Jesus and all wept. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's what they would show. So I remember it was me and uh, my friend Elizabeth and other people. We watched this around Halloween time, this killer compilations DVD. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is Hellraiser. And everyone was so – we're all like 14, 15, 14 at this point. Yeah, actually, no younger, honestly. It's like 13, 14. Um, everyone's freaked out. And everyone's like, we got to get that movie. It looks so <laughs> fucked. Of course, no one knowing that that's the final scene of the movie. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Um, but since that time, I have now seen all the sequels. I own – there's a really great – Arrow has a great uh, box set that's like the first three films – where they remastered it and it looks gorgeous and all these special features and everything. Um, I've read the novel. I read the sequel novel uh, that is not in any of the movies where it's uh, Clive Barker. Uh, I believe it's called The Scarlet. I think, what's it called? It's The Scarlet, the Scarlet something. Um, and Clive Barker wrote it like two or three years ago. Um, oh, okay. And it's, hell, it's Pinhead uh, meeting 
uh, Harry Dayamore, who is the main character in Lord of Illusions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's Clive, it's Clive Barker, and Harry Dayamore appears in a bunch of Clive Barker books, but uh, it was essentially Clive Barker's uh, Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. If, Candy, if Candyman had shown up, it would have been the whole the whole shebang. <laughs> All you so, needed was Candy Man. Have you read uh, like the Hellbound Heart? Yes, it's a okay. short book. The Hellbound Heart's like a little novella kind of book. Okay, novella, novella. My bad. Um, <laughs> the Scarlet Gospels—that's what it's called. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and so I've read that, uh, and like I said, I've seen all of. I will say actually, I saw all of them up to a couple years ago. They have since put out three more, <laughs> two of which do not start Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Yes, yes. And I just. I'm not terribly interested in those. Uh, but I also know the comic books, too, that Boom was putting out all these Hellraiser comics uh, that Clyde Barker had some assistance in. And that those acted more as sequels to part two as opposed to sequels to the films. Like, it continues the story of uh, Christy and all the characters from the films, from the first two films. I believe you mean Kirsty. Kirsty, you're right, Kirsty. The British, the British way of saying it. <laughs> it's like a, a aluminum and aluminium. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it is so. It's that's really funny. The fact that it's uh, it's very much a a British cast, but they're like, uh, let's change it, and make it New York <laughs> or wherever is, they're supposed to be. It is British, except for Andrew Robinson, the villain from Dirty Harry. He's the <laughs> The, the he plays Larry. Well, the, and also known as Garrick from uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yep, <laughs> also <laughs> Garrick, um, and uh, um, Ashley Lawrence who plays uh, Kirsty Cotton. She's also not, uh, but everyone else, yeah, because this is Clyde Barker. And I think now being an adult and having seen a lot of movies, this does feel like a horror yet British independent film. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's several things that I wrote down in my notes that I I put the uh, the uh, the quote love it unquote from Cameron in Cameron's voice I put, <laughs> and the first of those was the musical score, especially at the beginning. Oh man, Christopher Young's score! <laughs> and so I just put in here the quote love it unquote Cameron's. Uh, excited voice. He's going to definitely say something about the music. <laughs> I love Christopher Young's score. Christopher Young, who does this in part two, and then he also did Spider-Man three oh, uh, with Sam Raimi. <laughs> That's um, really strange. Oh yeah, but no, Christopher uh, Christopher Young. This score, I love this score because I think it's like this is a, a perfect example of a score that like really kind of elevates the film because mm, okay. there's something kind of sad and haunting about it, mm-hmm. as opposed to. For a score that, for a film that's very stabby and sexual, <laughs> it'd be very easy to do. And also because this is kind of like an indie little film, it'd be very easy to have like a cheapo score with just a bunch of musical stings in it. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I like that that's not that, but man, this movie's also so gross. Like there's just a feeling of like, not even like the violent stuff, the opening even, when oh. Frank is salt about, it is so sweaty. Oh, it is. <laughs> it's it a is. movie that's just covered in sweat. The sex is gross. Well, and that's what I think I I think that's what I responded the most to about it was it wasn't this pristine uh set. It wasn't like, "Oh, let's turn the corner to this other set." And then let's, you know, it it felt dirty and gross and then the what what you think is the villains by the poster and by the sort of uh lore around the movie, um uh, they look kind of gross. <laughs> and there's all this gross stuff that happens, so I was like, "Oh, yeah, the you know, it doesn't matter if it's the actual Cenobites or if it's the 
uh, or if it's all the Frank stuff or it's just the real world. Like, everything looks disgusting. And I, I really like that part. What's your history with the series? Well, you know, I watched Hellraiser the first time with my mother, which was interesting. Good uh, idea. <laughs> it was a deal where my mom's a big horror and sci-fi fan. And you would never know it because she's like the most church-going person I've ever met. Right? Like, she raised us. We went to church three times a week. We went twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays. But she likes horror movies, and we... This is... Uh, she's the reason why I like uh, Star Wars and Star Trek, and we used to watch Star Trek every week and all that kind of thing. So, uh, there was the previews for Hellraiser on DVD, or I guess it'd be VHS, and she was like, well, that kind of looks weird. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And we ended up, because we must have had some other DVD where this was on, or God, some other VHS to where this was a preview on there. And so we went down to our little video store. It was Video Kingdom. And there was this poster that you were talking about. The Demon to Some, Angels to Others. And I was like, oh, hey, there's that movie. And she's like, yeah, go ahead and grab it. And so we watched it and... Give it a go. Yeah, she's like, yeah, whatever. And so uh, and so we watched it. And I remember being... Mm, I was probably like 16, maybe, when I saw this first. Uh, and... I remember not being like, uh, you know, I remember being like disgusting, but I thought the whole thing was going to be the Cenobite stuff. And so when I was watching it the first time, I was like, well, that isn't really that. I mean, that's, it's like disgusting, but the pinhead stuff is what I sort of came for. And that's what really kind of grossed me out and excited me at the same time about the movie. And so when most of it is dealing with Larry and Frank and Julia, I was like, and Kirsty, I was like, well, okay, this is interesting enough, but it didn't really scare me the way that I was prepared to be scared by what I thought it was going to be. So I watched it again a couple years ago, and then I watched it this time, and I really, really like the movie. I think it is one of those It's things, a grower. Yeah, I really think it's one of those where... There is so much potential in what it is to where, like, I think I texted you the night that I watched it where I was like, how is this not a bigger and better franchise? You know, like, how has this not been um, put on Netflix or Amazon and, and had a proper, like, reboot of, or at least an attempt of something, like, more grand and more, um, I guess, fleshed out and that's not intended to be a pun? So I just think that there's a lot of things that could have been done to this story to um, make it even better, which that doesn't say... I'm not saying that I, I didn't like the movie. I just think that there's bits and pieces here to where it's like, whoa, what if they did this with this? Or what if they... I just think that there's a lot of really good ideas and a really effective stuff that I wish was expanded upon more. Because I think this is a whole like world that while I don't know about 10 movies or whatever they're up to now, I think that it definitely does justify several films. Like, Cause I think that there's a lot of good material here. I just wish that it would have been handled a little bit better. And I did watch, um, Hellraiser two, as you had mentioned, I like to, um, and I think it, it's okay. I think that it's, uh, I, I like the first one a little bit better. I do kind of like that. We, Oh, get... the first one's the first one's better. I kind of like that. That one becomes what well, the thing about two, 
that then the rest of the sequels don't do as much as I kind of like that there's almost like a fantasy labyrinth element to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess through those first two movies, though, I, I kept thinking like, Jesus, what are the Cenobites going to do something? And that was kind of the, that was kind of like my, wait a minute, they're just, they're not really doing a lot. <laughs> and I was like, what are they going to do stuff? You know what I mean? Like it just was, it was a little lacking for me on the actual thing that I came to see. I think your part three, which is hell on earth, you get a lot of. That's when they decide, like, oh, Pinhead should just be like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And, okay. uh, well, see, it's like, well, I don't want that either. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like I want what I want, and I'm the whiny little kid. Or it's like, no, do it like this because I want more of them because I don't want him just saying, uh, like, I love. I love the way that they that they uh, tweak his vocals, and I love the sort of uh, almost like biblical verbiage that they give him. And I'm talking about Pinhead. Oh yeah. And, and I think that all of that is really effective. Like that really sells for me, and I really like all of that stuff. I just wish that there would have been something else for them to do because he's just he's kind of chasing around Frank. But well, I think that's the thing. But really I kind of want anything. What I like about the movies, and again, because the poster is Pinhead and not Frank, is that it's really is Frank's the villain. Like the right. Cenobites are almost more like these controls, as it were, like like these centers. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Which I kind of like, and it makes them kind of both weird and interesting. Um, but yeah, it's harder to sell the movie if it was just like, look at this greasy dude. <laughs> look at Sean. Here's Sean Chapman just looking sweaty. <laughs> yeah, it. look look at this. This is and then when the hell when the pinhead shit comes out, you'd be like, What the hell? So it's like it's one of those weird like stuck between a rock and a hard place almost. Yeah, it really is, yeah. That is that that is interesting. So so you mentioned the beginning with him looking so sweaty. Um oh, what do you think of that beginning? Because that was a a moment where I was like, God, I wish that it's one of those where I wanted more, but I think that it works for what it is in not explaining things. But I wanted it, like, if it was done today, I would have wanted it explained, like, what is the puzzle box? Why is he here? How did this guy get this? Like, what does he want it for? You know, like, he just walks up to this dude and just knows where this guy is. You know, there just seems like a lot of story there that they didn't that they didn't bother with because the getting the puzzle box I get isn't the main story, but it just seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ground to cover that if they wanted to do like a, um, the haunting of Hill house, sort of a Netflix miniseries, if they wanted to do something like that, I feel like there's a ton of room to sort of let this slowly sort of build up. Instead you get like, Oh, here's this, there's this, uh, is it like an African, uh, I think area it's kind or? of, I think it's supposed to be, uh, I could be totally wrong because I can't remember if there's a title card. If there is, I kind of think it's supposed to be like Egypt or that sort okay. of yeah, I general figured, area. I thought it was some, it's some desert area, you know, and it's like, well, we got this stock Asian guy, it seems like, that's, it's handing over this cube and I'm like, well, what the hell is this? And I'm like, you know, I, I think that that's fine to where you add mystery to the object and, and yada, yada, yada. But I guess I would have liked to see him, like, why is he wanting it? What is he, what is he getting it for? I guess. 
because it's just this, it's just the thing that starts the movie, you know, and I, and I, and I've read different reviews and, and I think the movie, does the movie not, I feel like the movie says it cause in the book, I mean, it, you know, you don't want to do the, in the book it says, but I mm-hmm. believe, I feel like the movie says it, which is that the whole thing about the puzzle box is that essentially what it's supposed to do. And this is also the problem when you have a bunch of sequels is that then it's like, well, it never does the other thing, but the, <laughs> you, just have, you have to just look at the core concept. Uh, the original thing about the puzzle. So Frank is supposed to be this character that's like seeking out extreme forms of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so that's where like the line of dialogue about like angels to some demons to others right. is like the puzzle box is supposed to essentially depending on how you solve it, it either opens up hell or gives you the most extreme pleasure in your life. Right. And that's sort of what the puzzle box is supposed to do. Sure. Um, and again, because there's like 10 sequels, all it ever does is bring out a pinhead. So <laughs> sure. We have, so, there's, there's not really a movie worth seeing if it's like, oh, I saw this puzzle box and I came really hard. <laughs> People are so, like, this isn't a movie. <laughs> but it would be, it would be interesting then if, if you have something to where he's, you know, it, because basically he's either like a sex addict or an adrenaline junkie or something like that. That's I think chasing he's supposed to be. I think he's, yeah, I, I don't uh, sex addict. Maybe I think he's he's more, more just like a fucking deviant, considering what he like <laughs> is like. Well, fuck my brother's wife. Uh, yeah. I'm really into this weird kinko shit. And all those. I think it's like it's not even like. And I think what I what I like is that the movie does. I feel like makes a pretty good distinction between like normal S&M and mm-hmm. deviancy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're supposed to kind of go like, oh, Frank's just fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do like, I I think that that is, uh, I think the first time, the first and second time probably that I saw the Frank and Julia stuff, I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. This is just some weird shit. And then this time I was watching it going, oh, he's really fucking gross. Like, he's oh, yeah, really he's, he's, Real skeevy. Yeah, and and so then there's the questions of, uh, you know, it doesn't speak well of women the way that Julia sort of reacts to Frank. And I'm kind of like, oh, man, so if they were doing this today, I don't know if they could do this exact same stuff. I think they could. Well, I, good think, representation. I think they balance it out fairly well with Kirsty. With Kirsty, sure. I think that, like, if she was the only female character in this movie, I would be like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But she's not, thankfully. She's like, and she's not like, uh, and Kirsty, what I like about Kirsty is like, she's not shown to be like the cliche final girl. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. In that, in yeah. that, she seems to have a boyfriend. She seems to probably have like a normal life. She's not like ultra virginal or anything like that. Like, not to say we see her have a sex scene, but we also don't get the impression that she's like, you know, the final girl trope of like, oh, I don't yeah, want to do anything. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, so I think that we, there's at least that balance. Cause I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm also like, well, yeah, but the other, and also, that's also kind of why I like the sequel, is I like that the sequel makes it that it's like, that, that character, Julie's equally fucked up. Yeah, right. Once we get her as the, as the bad instead of Frank. Oh yeah. And that, that, that's the stuff I do like in part two as well, is like, how prominent she becomes and what happens with Frank and all this other stuff. And I also do love, uh, the painting on the wall of I'm in hell. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot in part two. Like, I get it. I totally understand why people are like, part two's fine. I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of cool little stuff. Like, the guy with the bug that thinks bugs are under his skin. Mm, ew, that, that is way gross. That is one of the most gruesome things I think I've ever seen in a movie, and I never hear anybody talk about it. Yeah, really bad. 
it reminded me of uh of when um I watched Bug. Oh yeah, we watched Bug. That's right. Yeah, but all of that was mostly off screen. Oh yeah, no, not this one. No, <laughs> not not that one at all. Straight oh. razor and everything, baby. <laughs> oh yikes! No, thank you. So so yeah, I think that since we're sort of talking about her, I think Ashley Lawrence is legitimately good in this movie. I do too. I think she's really. I think that that's that's another one of those like cases where I'm like I'm kind of bummed out. Like it doesn't seem like her. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like she was given proper due as like a great horror actress. You know what I mean? And the funny thing is like Halloween's about to come out and yeah. there's been a couple articles about like why was you know, and Jamie Lee Curtis is a great actress. Why was Jamie Lee Curtis seemingly the one person in a classic horror movie that then got to go have a full career after? Yeah, really. It's an interesting topic. Uh but no, I agree with you. I think she's also great. Yeah. So I think that that she's good. I think that uh some more of the things that I really enjoyed here was we talked a little bit about this, but I liked the fact that uh, that house is the absolute worst. Like, it is oh, so man. gross. And the most, like, uh, rained-down, British-looking house I've ever seen in my oh, life geez. in anything. I mean, I, I underlined the damn thing, like, three times. The house is the worst. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, right before that though, we talked about the, the puzzle box and about how it went wrong for Frank and that sort of thing. I do love the fact that we have those close-ups of the, of the hooks tearing into whatever it is that they're tearing into. Oh yeah, that weird like makeup, whatever makeup thing they're using. Yeah, where the, the flesh, because it's the same sort of thing in Lord of Illusions, right? It's the same sort of like really sort of diggable flesh is the one, Mm -hmm. is what I called it in the notes. There's something about Clive Barker stuff, man. Like, I, a friend of mine recently watched um, Candyman, and I'm uh, like, super gross, super. super gross. And there's something about like Clive Barker. I don't know how other, any other way to put it. I'm like, Clive Barker's, and even though Clive Barker didn't direct Candyman, mm-hmm. but it was his story. He produced it, I believe. Uh, man, his stuff. There's something about the stabbings and his thing that just feels so brutal. I think they like they add. They must like in. I think it's the sound design. Add in like what sounds like just tearing sounds, mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, <laughs> they feel like the most brutal stabbings in anything. Well, even in this, when when we get Larry and he gets his finger or he gets his uh, part of his hand caught on the nail, oh, and it's no, it, it's not just like a scrape. It's like how the shit could a nail do that? Oh, man, so <laughs> like, good. wow, you got you have the softest skin. You're just sticking into this nail head. Real, real, real baby brittle. (laughs) Yeah, really. Oh, geez. But yeah, I put, uh, so in my notes here, I put the, I I kind of think that the Frank and Julia stuff is interesting, but the sex is all really kind of strange. Oh, so, well, it kind of goes along with like, oh, it's all just so gross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all just the the worst. (laughs) And, And I do like the fact that you know, it is so. It's one of those where you're watching it and you're like, "God, this is gross," but then you're like, "Oh yeah, it's supposed to be gross." <laughs> yeah, it's not it's, just that you're like, Ugh, "What?" So, yeah, it's it's supposed to be cold. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I what do you think about the the whole resurrection? Like the the house is alive and the house sort of births Frank, and we have the little. Oh, heart. I want to talk about that scene. I yeah. love that scene. That okay. is, I I think the thing I like about. Hellraiser 1 and 2 is there is kind of a, I don't know how else to put it. This is the only way I know how to put it. 
there's sort of a fucked up Jim Henson quality to a lot of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Like there's like it's like there's seeing things of like labyrinth and like these practical effects and everything is like weird and, and like puppetry and all this other stuff but it's also like it's like if Jim Henson took like way too many drugs and was like I'm going to make a weird deviant film. Yeah, really. Uh it's, but yeah, I, that whole resurrection scene I love and that's one of those that's a perfect example to me of one of those things where you're like how did they do this with the budget they had? Exactly. Yes, exactly. And I mean, obviously, it's a lot of like reverse photography and like claymation and stuff like that. But holy crap, some of the stuff. And it's gross. Again, sticking with the theme, it is such a gross resurrection. Yeah, it really is. It, like it's real disgusting. melting. <laughs> it's he's so slick looking, like so slippery, and I'm like, ew. Especially when he's almost to the point of coming back, and when he's almost back, that's why I'm like, yeah, that is definitely not Sean Chapman. That is definitely not Frank. No, but I also love the uh, the um, the sound the sound design. The sound design in this movie, kind of going along with what I was saying about the stabbing. The sound design in this movie is so good, but like when he's like lifting himself up, like he's doing a fucking uh, not a downward dog. What's the other? <laughs> when you're like pushing your chest out, uh, when he's doing that move coming out of the ground, I was like, oh, oh yeah, like, yeah, this that's... is so fucked. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, I know the I I can visualize the term, but or the the form, but I don't know what that's called. Oh man. Uh, so, so yeah, so yeah, the, I think that I put that the house and the blood stuff is awesome because I think that that's such a cool idea. I wrote, you know, I kept writing I things like does it did it have to be Larry's blood? Could it have been anyone's blood to to kick things off? You know, those are things where I'm like in in a novel of this, what would it have been? You know, well, so I, in the novel, in the novel, if I remember correctly, it's been a good minute since I've read the book. But in sure. the novel, if I remember correctly, <laughs> going along with like what happens when you open up the puzzle box is like, and you you're like, oh yeah, you wouldn't put that, you wouldn't put that in a movie. Um, <laughs> Frank gets hit with such intense feelings of pleasure that he masturbates and comes on the floor. <laughs> oh, well, and that's of how he's able to come back. Well, of course you do. So, but in the movie, obviously, they're like, uh, there's blood. <laughs> it just soaks into the wood, and yeah. then he comes alive. It was the blood. Yeah, so then we, yeah, we have that sort of half-formed, we have the half-formed Frank, which I think was oh, man. so disgusting. And I loved that. And and what's weird, and I already mentioned this show earlier, but I, I'm watching, I'm in the middle of watching The Haunting of Hill House. I need on, to start that. On Netflix. And there's a scene in the third episode that is very similar to Frank's resurrection. Ooh. And I'm like, ah, ew, because it's gross. And it's one of those where it comes right at the camera. And I'm oh, like, oh, sick. So, and it's, uh, it's also created and, uh, written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Gerald's game. Oh yeah, we're gonna be talking about him in a bit. Yeah. And so, and, and so that's the sort of, uh, aesthetic that we're, it's very similar to that. Very similar looking to that. So yeah, so, um, the whole resurrection thing I really, really liked. The grossest part of the movie, I think, for me, is the dinner scene. <laughs> because these people around each other just saying the grossest stuff to each other and just being so, like, overtly sexual towards Larry's daughter. And I was like, oh, God, get me out of this scene. 
get me out of here. Like I did oh, not no. like that at all. It's so yeah. That's the thing about this about like this the these these the 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 one the ones that Clyde Barker was involved in. Like there just is something so like skeevy about the whole yeah, thing. Absolutely. It and just kind is of like everyone's you know they're they're like a half step from an orgy except for one person, and you're that one person as the audience. And you're just oh, like, yeah. oh, God, everyone looks like they need to shower, and it's like, ugh. Everyone's sweaty. <laughs> uh, I also, this these are my favorite uh, versions of the Cinebites. It's not just Pinhead, but it's uh, known as female Cinebite. But oh, the one yeah. It's got, like, vagina neck. <laughs> and you were correct on the on the names. It is just lead Cinebite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Butterball and Chatterer. <laughs> right. I love it. I do like. The, I think the female one is really fucking cool looking, actually, because it's not. I mean, that that one's not really that far off from something you would see. Oh yeah, right. And obviously, <laughs> the butterball one and the chattering one is is something that you wouldn't really see. Maybe the butterball one. I don't know. I don't go to L.A. clubs, Cameron. You told me. Well, so, I don't think so. But <laughs> also got the, cre- the the hallway in the hospital where she sees the monster. Oh yeah, it's also good. Yeah. So, okay, so that, that's the only stuff that I didn't love, and I think that a lot of that is either budget or just the design. Like, I didn't love the sort of monster monster that, that Kirsty sees. Oh, I like that guy, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, uh, God, what's he called? I'm, there's, a, there's, he's also got a name. Um, but I, I hear you. Uh, he's, it's, I mean, that's one of those things where you kind of have to suspend your disbelief quite a bit because it's very clearly, on a track, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's a creature on a on a motor, on a like rail track, just being pushed forward, and little puppet arms. It, it looks a little bit like the little monsters you'd put on your fingers as a kid. <laughs> yeah, a little, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, but there is something just so weird about it, like the two arms that are what's dragging you forward, while it seems to have like no genitalia, but the, mm-hmm. the genitalia is its face, and I'm like. Man, like that's the stuff where I'm like, man, if they remade this mm-hmm. and like that stuff, and, but I would still want it to be practical because I don't want it to be like, we're going to make it CGI. You could do anything. Oh, no way. No way. And it, it, this is a Clive Barker film and oh, yeah. it needs to have Clive Barker aesthetic if it, they were going to reboot it and remake it. Well, it's probably worth talking, getting into that a little bit. So they were going to, like Clive Barker announced like five, six years ago, he was writing the script of the remake. Okay. And as of last year, he basically said, turned in the script to Dimension a couple years ago, haven't heard anything. Uh, see, that's bull, that, that sucks because that, like I would, like I've been saying, there's, there's a ton of stuff that they could do in this franchise. Oh, yeah. So it's just sitting in this, uh, limbo. Uh, you know, we have that, but yet, you know, we've got to have six saws or seven saws or whatever in a jigsaw movie. And it's like, Jesus Christ, can we just, can, can I get a Hellraiser? Can I get a real Hellraiser? Not Hellraiser Judgment without Douglas Bradley, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and enough cannot be said about how good Doug Bradley is as this character. Mm-hmm. Well, like, there's it's, this weird it's the British voice. Sto- yeah, it's, it's, it's the stoicism. That's right, yeah. It's that weird British, like, not quite a gentleman's stiff upper lipness that's there. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's just the, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the manner that certain actors sort of hold themselves and the way that they project things that that comes across as being demonic. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I was listening to I was listening to this and visually it's not the same, 
but it reminds me of something that a guy like a Tom Hiddleston could do to where Tom Hiddleston mm-hmm. and like Crimson Peak, not in Les Loki. That's interesting. I know that was the other thing too, is I know Clive Barker, when he was going to be writing the remake and all this other stuff, they said they were going to bring Doug Bradley back. Yeah, but he's getting to be an old man now though. I mean, little, little older, a little older yeah. face is a little bit wider, but you know, I don't know. The prosthetics can do a lot of amazing things. <laughs> that's right. X-Men 3, that's our, uh, that's our standard bear, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can de-age him. <laughs> oh God, X-Men 3. Good. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, one of the other things that I think is interesting is, um, I wouldn't say that we have, you know, Oscar worthy performances in this movie, but I do love Andrew Robinson when he is Frank in Larry's skin and he does the, uh, oh, so, yeah, much, so, so much for the cat and mouse shit. <laughs> and it's just full, like over the top, just going for it. And I love, I think that that's a lot of fun. Well, I wonder how much of that also comes from, again, like casting the guy who was the killer in Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a sure. guy who who did play the crazy person, but then they do make him like the dorky father. So it kind of all works. Like you believe him as both. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that he is good. It's just one of those where I I really like the fact that he's acting weird and he's kind of got the blood along the hairline and. And yeah. she scratches his face, and his face kind of half falls off. And again, that's all that practical makeup stuff to where if it was some sort of shitty CGI, you'd be like, oh, that looks stupid. But the yeah. fact that it's like just kind of like hanging there. Well, there's something also, there's just something to be said about like practical effects that even if it doesn't look real, even if someone wants to look and go, well, that's not what skin looks like, and blah, 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 if it were to hang it, this, that, and the other. There's something about the fact that it's tangible that makes it almost grosser. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's a horror movie is what makes that work. Because if this was like, like a real medical drama, you would be like, well, you couldn't get better looking skin. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So some of the other stuff that you know, again, is one of those where I kept thinking, if this was remade, if this was made made now, it's like the the whole the puzzle box is like the easiest thing to figure out in the world, or what? Because it's like. It's not much of a fucking puzzle box because Christy's like, oh yeah, I just kind of move my thumbs around, whatever, and then they're all dead. Listen, the complication of the puzzle box is beyond me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and so that's one of those where it's like, this is this MacGuffin that everyone wants, this thing that everyone's yeah, well, chasing around for in all of these, in all of these movies. And I have no idea how it works. And it's just a thing that everyone chases after and they don't bother explaining. Oh, so they want it. They want it so badly. Yeah. Gotta have it. <laughs> Got it. You gotta, gotta have, have it. it. Gotta have that puzzle box. Yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, I think that this is, uh, if anyone has not seen this, I think that they definitely should check this out because oh, it yeah. is, uh, it is a whole lot of fun. It is a whole lot of creepy goodness. Um, we didn't really talk too much about Julia. I think that she's an interesting choice for this sort of like bombshell. That, uh, the movers are wanting to have sex oh, with. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the movers. Yeah. And she's just kind of oh got God, like those this. characters. Yeah, she's kind of got like this, I don't know, this kind of goofy sort of 80s look and she's bringing all these men home. And I think that that, I loved the whole bringing all the guys home and her killing them one by one. Oh, the different, the different dinner segments? Yeah. yeah. I thought that that was really fun. I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, there's something so weird and 
great and so fucked up about it. Yeah, it just it just really did. It really did feel to me like it was some sort of six to ten episode series that was squished down into one movie. Maybe someday. I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't mind like if it's like announced like someday down the road, like doing a Hellraiser TV, the TV series. Yeah. But it's going to actually be like Hellraiser. It's not going to be like Friday the 13th, the series, where it's like, there's nothing to do with Jason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they basically took the structure of these first two movies, because those are the only ones that I've seen, and they just kind of expand that out into into episode form and just kind of gave it a little bit more, I think that that's not overly difficult to do, and I think that they right. could make it pretty effective. So That's it. Three might be worth a watch because then you have a Cinebyte that's made out of a CD player. <laughs> Whoa! That might be that might be worth a <laughs> worth a bit of a poker. Wait a minute, they don't just use the same Cinebytes the whole time. No. Oh shit! There's a bunch of them. Oh yeah. Oh, there's a no. whole there's a whole GI Joe toy line oh, basically no. worth I Cinebytes. I don't know that I like that already. Now, now they're all don't get me wrong. Pinhead sticks around, but he's pretty much the only one. Hmm. Really? Cause I liked, I really liked the, the chatterer and I liked the look of the, I liked the look of the chatterer the most cause that fucking is gross. I can't remember if him or Butterball are still in three. One of the two of them is uh, still in three. I gotta rewatch three. It's been a minute since I've seen three. Well, regardless, I think that that's, uh, I think that there's a lot of, a whole lot of good shit in the, in Hellraiser. So if people haven't checked that out, they definitely need to do that. Yeah, it was on Hulu forever. I don't know if it's still there. Oh, yeah, there. it's still on there. That's how I still watched it. And it uh, right. it automatically goes into uh, Hellraiser 2 if you want to keep watching. Which also has a great score. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron in the 80s horror scores. I love it. Oh, my God. They're so, so good. So do, uh, do you have anything else about Hellraiser before we move on? Mm, no, I think I think we I think I got it all covered. Okay. Oh, also. actually, I will say one thing. If you if this is on Netflix, because I think I know it's on Hulu now, but if this is on Netflix, this is the example I I mentally go to anytime there is a uh, hysterical Netflix subtitle is the first Hellraiser oh, because really? during the sex scene between uh, Frank and Julia. The subtitle was British Moaning. <laughs> British Moaning. It's very specific. Wow, that is hilarious. I would love yeah. to talk to the person that did that. I was like, that's so good, and it's genius, <laughs> and I love it. That is really funny. That is really funny. Okay, so before we move on to our second film, we should mention that we are also sponsored by Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients and recipes you need in exactly the right proportions to make simple, seasonal, home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team, so you'll learn how to cook. <laughs> so you'll learn to cook with new ingredients, cuisines, and cooking techniques. Meals are 500 to 800 calories and start at only $8.74 per serving. You can also choose vegetarian, classic, or family plan options. And if you want to add in some wine, Blue Apron can do that as well. Shipping is always Ooh, free. I didn't know they did wine. Oh, yeah, absolutely they do wine. So shipping is always free. Just follow the link in our show notes or head over to blueapron.com and enter the promo code plain label. Discover Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And also related to that, this is not a sponsor, but uh, as of recording, my wife is opening a restaurant in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, Whoa! Yeah, so uh, she is uh, technically 
the human resources uh, individual for the company that has four different restaurants here in Lincoln. And this one is, uh, it's like an upscale Mexican cuisine place. Called the Puzzle Box. <laughs> it just have a whole lot of chains and hooks and some skin hanging down. It is awesome. Mexican salsa, demons to some, <laughs> angels to others. That's right. Perfect. That is the next, uh, you get some ghost pepper and that, that is your salsa line just waiting <laughs> to happen. <laughs> so yeah, so she's doing the, uh, the soft opening of that tonight as we speak, which is why I'm able to talk on the day that I'm talking. So, so there we go. All right. So let's talk about our second film. It is, uh, somewhat similar in theme. It is from 2017. It is a Netflix movie. It is called Gerald's Game. This is going to be good for us, Jess. Really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in. Get comfy. I bet you think your husband will be back any minute. Try to go for help. There's no one for miles. Gerald? I'm sorry, baby. You don't get to know my name. I don't like this. I'm serious. Stop. I don't like that. Thanks. Stop it! Are you playing? Is this really what it takes these days? I don't know. We were so wrong. We were happy once. Where were we? Gerald? What? What's happening? Oh. Gerald! Time to wake up, honey. Five hours you've wasted screaming for neighbors that are half a mile away if they're even here yet. How long do you think someone lives without water? That will not work. You can pull to your wrists break. You're not getting out of those cups. Not real. Little baby, don't say a word. Focus. You've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. That's a beautiful dress. He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did. You're all right, you're all right, Mom. You did everything you need to survive from the beginning. You just have to remember. Back off! If you don't wake up, you're gonna die. And the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. When a harmless game between a married couple in a remote retreat suddenly becomes a harrowing fight for survival, wife Jessie must confront long-buried demons within her own mind and possibly lurking in the shadows of her seemingly empty house. Okay, and then that was written by a production company, which has some issues with the uh, the retreat and her empty house. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so tell me about uh, tell me about your history because we are friends on Goodreads. I can see some things that you rate. Tell me about your history with the Gerald's Game uh, oeuvre with the the book. Oh slash. boy, I don't even remember what I wrote. <laughs> oh, it was you didn't write a review, but it was a one out of five. You did not 
did not appreciate the book by Mr. Stephen King. Man, when did I, when did I, uh, when did, do we got a date on that when I did that? Well, I'm not saying this, I disagree with it now. This was one of those where I put up, uh, I was just looking it up on Goodreads and I'll do it here. Good, uh, let's see, Gerald's game. And I was like, oh, I wonder if anyone's read the actual book because I remember, um, frequent guest host, Mr. Alan White, well, he mentioned, well, I didn't ever, uh, envision Gerald as being so, such a sexy man or something like that about okay, so I Yeah, I was going to address that too. <laughs> um, so you, Cameron, nine years ago, <laughs> nine years ago, rated it a one star. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> 2009, yeah. 2009. Uh, so <laughs> I read this in high school, my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, like, I love Stephen King. Stephen King's my favorite writer. I feel like I want to go back and give this another go. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I also wrote that like when I first started doing using Goodreads, <laughs> and I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get on that. I'm gonna rate all these books around. Oh, that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure 2009 camera was much more of like a rabble rousery kind of like, fuck this, burn down your institutions. <laughs> uh, but all that said, um, yeah, I think for me the book, being a Stephen King fan, and I once even wrote a comedy sketch talking about this book before it became a movie, oh, and really? I basically called it Stephen King's attempt to Clive Barker. Oh, interesting. Um, so that said though, yeah. So the book, I remember the time not really knowing what it was, uh, reading it and kind of going, man, this feels like it's kind of going all over, all over the damn map. Um, and again, like I said, like I would love to read it now and kind of mm-hmm. see if I still feel the same way or if I could be like, oh wow. <laughs> when, when are you a freshman in high school? 15? Yes. 14, yeah, 15, something like that. Yeah, if I'm like, oh, 15-year-old me just didn't know what the hell he was reading. You well, know that, I mean? could, like, that couldn't possibly be. A, if you're yeah. 14 or 15, no way. I got my shit I got my shit down. I got it locked. Um, but that kind of mindset of like, you know, so I'd love to reread it. That said, uh, it wasn't my favorite book uh, by King. I was kind of like, oh, and this is also that era. That, this was written book-wise, I believe, in that post Stephen King's the biggest biggest author in the world. And then he just had to put out a bunch of books contractually. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of a famous period among King fans is like, oh, yeah, this is a time where it's like, I just got to put out a bunch of stuff. Here's just a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, whether or not this book actually does fall under that, I'm not 100% sure. I feel like it did. Um, so all that said, when they uh, – and I remember thinking at the time, this is one of the ones they'll never make into a movie. <laughs> sure. Because it's got all this fantasy stuff, and it's about S&M, and all these other things. And uh, point to what Gerald was supposed to look like in the book, if I remember correctly. And it's similar to uh, Norman Bates, where in the book, I think Gerald is supposed to be like this fat fucking piece of shit that's like uh, in like little tidy whities and ball uh. aesthetic. <laughs> That's if not how Bruce serves. Greenwood looks. <laughs> no, I didn't know Bruce Greenwood was this cut. I'll be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, really? Yeah. I like, I'm like, holy shit, what's this dude eating? Cause I gotta, it's like, did he get this part? And he's like, all right, nothing but chicken and brown rice for, yeah. for the upcoming months. Uh, all that said, I really, I dug the movie. I dug the movie quite a bit. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have no history with this story. I knew that it was a Netflix or I knew that it was a Stephen King. Um, and this is the really? one that, this is what, yeah, I knew it was a Stephen King book and I, and this is the one that I picked because 
I was like, oh, okay, this is a, a Netflix, one of the Netflix movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of interested in these sort of straight to Netflix kind of films. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this looks interesting. Uh, I like Carla Giugino. I like Bruce Greenwood. Let's see what they do with this. Because how in the world could this be a movie? Because based on the trailer, it looks like something that's going to last about 20 minutes. Right? Because I didn't know anything oh, yeah. about this. And so I thought that this was really effective. I think that I have, I do have some issues with some of it, but I think that overall I, I quite enjoyed it. And it was a thing where I think I man- mentioned this last week, but we do listen to, uh, my daughter and I listen to the No Sleep podcast, which Mike Flanagan, the writer and director of this and The Haunting of Hill House, uh, he has written several stories for. And so he has, uh, is someone that they promote on the show pretty frequently. And so it's a name that I was familiar with. And so I was like, Oh wait, isn't that the guy from the podcast about the horror movies? And I was like, Oh really? He's doing a thing for Netflix. I was like, well, I gotta, I better check that out. And so I was glad that I did. And again, and we'll get into the, some things that I didn't think that worked quite as well, but Man, if there isn't two scenes that I will never ever in my life forget, they are in this movie. And one of them is one of the grossest things I've seen in a while. And one is one of the more disturbing things that I've seen in a while. So, so that's where we're at for that. So, I was going to hazard a guess. I was going to say, uh, the handcuff, handcuff pull. Yeah, the handcuff pull for sure. Yeah. And, uh, daddy daughter on the bench. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's like, oh, yeah! it's like the two scenes, right? <laughs> I mean, it's basically like the two scenes. So some of the things that I really liked about this is, is, uh, well, I, first, I think that the, the two main actors are great, right? Because if you don't have yes. two actors to carry this movie, you don't have anything. So I'll say like, that's sort of my, why I kind of want to reread the book is my memory. I honest to God do not remember if, her talking to both herself and an embodiment of Gerald is in the book or a creation of the film. Oh, okay. I can't remember. I really can't. I'm kind of wondering, like, part of me was kind of like watching. I was like, I don't recall if this was in the book. I feel like this might have all, and I think that was my my initial issues with the book when I read it was that there was a degree of feeling like there's a lot of the character in their head. And and this is like a filmic version of doing that. Now, again, someone's going to write me and be like, are you crazy? There's whole dialogue scenes between her and ghost Gerald, but I could not, couldn't remember. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that that, uh, I think that that works really well. Like just the, the fact that you get around the idea of him, which you very blatantly see in the trailer where he has a heart attack while they're uh, doing a little handcuff action. And, so I think that, you know, the actors make everything work. Also, I think she kicks him real hard in the boner, and that's why he has the heart attack. Oh, is that right? In the... <laughs> I think she, like, she's trying to kick him away and then kicks him, like, square in the boner. <laughs> and I think he just starts screaming so loud and turns red and he has a heart attack. Someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, but I man, feel like hilarious. I, I feel like that was, like, a very crucial memory of me reading this book is, like, he got kicked square, like, right square in the boner. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have uh, done a high school book report on that. So I have written that did. Down. Oh, awesome! I don't know if I have that <laughs> anywhere, but this was my this was an assignment that was like not given. This book was not given to us, but it was a, like choose a book, any book you want, and write uh, write a paper on it. 
And I chose this because I was like, Stephen King. But I was like, oh, it's a Stephen King one I haven't heard of. Let me do that one. And, man, once I think it got to the boner kicking, I was like, I have made a mistake. <laughs> well, and it can't be overly long, right? The this kick book. to the boner? No. <laughs> this book. Oh, um, I don't. Honestly, that might have been another thing. I think this might have been one of the Stephen King epic long ones. Oh, really? God, I, can't, I just can't see how. Based on me, the movie, looking, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> That's fine. Based on the movie, it just doesn't seem like there's that, like there's that, really that much story. I do wish though now it was. There was just like this epic, like long chapter describing boner kick. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so yes, uh, while you're looking that up, I think that, uh, I think that Bruce Greenwood is 350 a, pages. So okay. not one of the thousand pagers, but yeah, sure. uh, not 127. Right. So I do think that Bruce Greenwood is effectively creepy in this. I like the I like the whole uh um you don't get to know my name thing that he does when he's doing like this sort of weird like rape fantasy thing. Right. <clears throat> and so I thought that he was a, like effectively like, "Ooh, god, what are you No, 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 what are you doing?" You know when she's clearly not into it. And so I thought that he was effective in in that respect. I think that some of what I didn't love at the beginning is I felt like they were so blatant in the whole sexual issues that they were having. Oh, sure. I can see that. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, well, like, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it, guys. Like, yeah. why else would they be going up here? Right. You could just have been a little more subtle. I, I think, uh, I think that it doesn't, the, the movie doesn't really have a lot of trust, uh, invested in the audience. It just kind of tells you everything. Just kind of throws everything out there until we get to the third act. Right, I could see that. Um, I think that uh, I did mark down that we have a. Not only do we have the S and M connection to Hellraiser, but we also have uh, we have the Daddy connection because they were using. Oh that yeah, word a lot, mm-hmm. right? forgot and, about that. And I was like, ooh, I don't like this. Uh, this makes me feel weird. Um, and so yeah, so I think that the once she is trapped and of course the dog chewing up on oh, the uh, dog yeah the dog chewing up on gerald uh was something that was pretty rough <clears throat> and effectively rough like good rough i guess oh yeah um i think that that was the point where i was like oh my god what is this like what are where are we going what are we doing like we got a lot of ground to cover still here and once we had that and then Gerald gets up and starts talking to her, I was like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> because now we're going to be yeah, able to, I love that. yeah, now we're going to be able to get him talking to her. And, you know, it's really easy to see that she's going to have her own version come out or, or there's going to be some other, uh, either she's going to just embody that, uh, strong willed version of herself or she's going to have a separate little, identity that'll that'll come out to compete against him so once that yeah, idea i really, was I, really flooded, I was like oh yeah 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 and well, so, it, made it, uh, it made it feel like a uh a, a one-room play almost in mm-hmm, a weird way absolutely, even though she's yeah. also talking to herself i was like okay. i was like man i'm really i'm really kind of into this like little one-room drama thing and the dog kind of hanging there uh, a lot of the dialogue i really enjoyed yeah no i the, I, I hear what you're saying about the first hour but i actually didn't mind that i kind of i also liked again this is kind of going with the book versus the film is that uh the book Gerald I mean the film he's kind of a piece of shit but um obviously but I like that they kind of made him somewhat charming in the beginning too 
Mm-hmm. A little bit, like, yeah. You can kind of see, like, when did, like, the, the Kobe beef thing happens, and then he's like, well, whatever, you know, and then he's like, he's trying to kind of like, you can see he's annoyed, but he's also kind of be like, ah, that's okay, it's fine, it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, they're get, making Gerald just, like, okay enough that you could see why she would be with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not like the, the, you know, he's not just the worst person you've ever met to where you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. This isn't a real guy. Yeah, whereas in the book, I believe, like, it's not that he's not a real guy, but I, again, like, I think they made him, like, fat and kind of perverted and all this other stuff, but it's also like, uh, um, I think they made him a little bit more like, oh, he's got money, but he came across, like, basically he came across like Oswald fucking Cobblepot. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So some of the things that I thought was nice to see just because it made me feel like it was a Stephen King adaptation was... Uh, well, you could probably guess this. What are some of the Stephen King staples that we see in almost every movie, Cameron? Can you oh, think man. of any of these? You got, you got the incestual father coming yes. right out of right out of it. Right. Um, you didn't have any racism. That didn't pop up. No. No racism. We have uh, we have the old timey music. Old timey music. Uh, you have uh oh, some of the the Moonlight Man. You got yes. these little nicknames that felt very kingy. Mouse. Mouse, oh yeah, the nicknames. Um, no creative curses. You don't have like the Christine, um, uh, the shitters. You don't have anything like that. Yeah, you don't have the dirty birdie from Misery and that sort of thing. Yeah, you don't have any like cute, uh, anything like that. Um, you do have these like sayings that I really like where it's like comparing him to the dog and it comes to this little thing and I was like, oh, that's very king. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's a lot that's very, very king in this. But like I said, it's some of the staples are there, some of them aren't. Like Gerald's not a writer or an English teacher. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she might be a writer. She wrote something at the end. That's right. She wrote did. a little letter at the end. Yes. Um, I feel like those are the big things that popped out to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, so I was going along through this movie, really kind of digging it, and then we get our first flashback. So, what do you think of the the flashback bits compared to the present day stuff? I like the flashbacks. I thought they were used pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I liked the actors in them. I really like anytime Henry Thomas pops up in something. I was like, oh yeah, Elliot. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm all for Henry Thomas being in things. Um, even if there's something like this where it's like, hey, Elliot, you're gonna play a pervo, pervo father. Yeah, really. You're gonna be, uh, doing some, uh, questionable things while your daughter's looking, uh, at a, (laughs) at an eclipse. What a scene to film, by the way. Man. Woof. Can you imagine saying, hey, uh, so young Jesse, and I don't, I don't wanna attempt to pronounce her name. Uh, it's always one of those hard to pronounce names. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's what it looks like anyway. So, um, you're gonna sit on Henry's lap, it's, okay, and you're just not gonna turn around, and that's it. You know, like, I wonder if that's how they explain it to her. I wanna rewatch it to see if, like, anytime the camera's on Henry Thomas's face, do we not see her, so therefore it could be like a, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it could be. It could be just like a shoulder of her that they can composite in or something. Yeah. Um, so that could, that very well could be for sure, because I don't know that you see faces, face and face, that much. I don't think so. Because it's a lot of her shoulder and it's a lot of her back of her head and that kind of thing. So, so I don't know. So maybe. Oh, yeah, super, super uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, was... so that, that was definitely rough. That was uh, definitely but yeah, rough. very, very king. I was like, oh, here it is. <laughs> yeah. And so some of that was when I was watching 
And of course, we have the very uh, when he's manipulating her, and I want to tell. I, and... that, I thought that was a uh, upsetting but very good scene. Yeah, I thought that that was really effective because you know just showing how manipulation happens. It's kind of like here's the ABCs of manipulation, and so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can I can definitely see how this would work on a young girl or a young daughter. Oh yeah. And and so I thought that that was it was effective for what I was trying to do. Some of the things that I thought was less effective and I guess this also goes along with The Haunting of Hill House is this was shot by the same DP and it just feels very stagey to me. Right? Like it just yeah. it just looks like it's it just doesn't you know and I I think that part of the problem is watching this so close to Hellraiser and just oh, seeing yeah, like yeah, the yeah. shine on everything in this and just feeling like oh this is just a set that they walked into right i could see that i think it also did you by any chance watch 1922 you know it's on my queue but i haven't i haven't seen it yet uh there's something and granted a different time period that has to do with farming and stuff like that but there is something to cuz i think the cinematography the cinematography is not bad in this movie it's mm-hmm. just not there's nothing super gripping mm-hmm. you know and not to say you know as someone who does cinematography here and there cinematography doesn't just mean like showy you know sometimes it is just like lighting a thing the right way mm-hmm. but it does feel like there could be certain other i will say actually one shot i really do like is right after the car accident when she's in the car uh-huh and like the lights from that house are kind of streaming in so she's kind of got this that i really really like but generally yeah this kind of has a weird flatness to, and also the the red of the uh, eclipse made everyone kind of look more sunburned. Yes. Than anything. Right. Yeah. It's one of those. It's one of those things. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So it was. It was something to where it just. I don't know. It. It was. It felt like it was. The. The. The flashbacks were lit in like a commercial way instead of like a theatrical way. It just didn't. It just looked in a way to where it made me see. It made me feel like it was, just set stage not a real thing and and i don't have the language to really explain precisely what i mean it just didn't look like what a traditional hollywood film would look like right and and so that's some of my issue with uh with the haunting of hill house as well because it, it has you know it's the same dp but it's it's the same sort of thing to where in the you know because since it's a they do. They basically do like the the it version where they have grown ups and then the kids. Um, but so you have like the modern day and it's very setty again, like very just. Oh, like, interesting. And then in the flashback there, it it is more like a real place at Hill House because they obviously have to make it look horrific and that sort of thing. Right. So so I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. I I, I will say like I haven't seen. If this uh, DP and Flanagan, because I haven't, I have not seen uh, Mike Flanagan's theatrical work, mm-hmm. uh, Oculus, and the second Ouija board movie. <laughs> right, and uh, I believe there's, um, what is it like? Uh, oh shit, I can't think of it now. Hush, that's the other one. That Hush, yeah, but I think that also went to Netflix, if I believe. Oh, is that right? Okay, I think so. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I think my thing is, uh, he's about to do his next lined up thing is Doctor Sleep. Yeah. That's right. Which do you know about that? Yeah, the the uh, Shining Se- sequel. Shining sequel. It's going to be hit, uh, with Ewan McGregor. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So with as playing Danny. So 
It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting if it's this DP as well uh, shooting it. Mm, I would not. I would want nothing to do with anything. I don't know anything Kubrick related. Like why would I wouldn't want to get anywhere near that? I guess. Oh, I know. Well, that's why they're also saying it's not gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be more of the book and less of a sequel to the film. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, famously, Stephen King not a fan of the yeah, Shining. Yeah, doesn't so. like it. Well, and you can't always trust his uh, his his taste when it comes to his adaptations because he he very much likes his uh, Stephen King miniseries of The Shining with uh, Stephen Weber and uh, Rebecca that, uh, De Mornay. That Mick Garris directed. Yeah, oh, I know. Well, also because yeah. King King wrote that adaptation as well. <laughs> sure, sure. That was not uh, not my not my favorite. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I dug the movie. I think the only thing is, I do want to talk a little bit about the ending. Yes, we'll not so much the that. not so much the escaping, but uh, revealing that the Moonlight Man, the Moonlight Man stuff, yeah, is uh not an apparition of any kind. It is in fact a real person. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I thought it was terrible. I I didn't I didn't care about the Moonlight Man stuff at all. I thought that it came completely out of nowhere while I'm watching the movie. It's like she's having these you know it's like she is she going through trauma and creating this thing and then it turns out to be real and i'm like what and then we have this flash what like a year or six months or something and she's better but then she's got something to approach yeah. him and and i just i just didn't dig on any of that stuff yeah um i kind of liked it because again it's been so long since i've read the book that it's like i can't remember if this switcheroo also happened in the book or if in the i I do remember there was this there was that sort of mystical the moonlight man i remember the moonlight man being a thing in the book could not remember if there was this sort of oh it's it's, uh, just a serial killer crazy dude um but similarly like i actually didn't mind it as this sort of creepy possible hallucination thing Uh uh because she's Maybe she's thirsty or dehydrated or whatever you want to, you know what I mean? Like starving, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm like, okay, she's thinking about death. She's already seeing her husband and herself. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with her seeing some weird sure. apparition of the boogeyman. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, cool. Um, and even sort of like the little hints that it's like, no, he might have been real because there's yep. a footprint. I'm like, yep. oh, that's kind of cool. And actually, to me, one of the more effective scares in the movie was the flashback when she feels someone licking on her toes, looks down and it's him, and then we come back to the real world as a dog. That was (laughs) a pretty effective little gross thing to it. Uh The problem with then saying, like, oh, actually, it was a real dude, kind of neuters a lot of it in a weird way. Like, uh, it basically makes it, the only way I can think to describe it is it's like, It'd be like if you watched all of it, and then the last twenty minutes was like, actually, it's a real clown. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and all the kids were just had like dehydration. You'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I I do think that uh, puberty made them think it was a, a, spec- a specter ghost. <laughs> it wasn't. It's was a real clown. It's a crazy clown named uh, Jacoby. Blah blah blah. <laughs> just like, yeah, really. And she and the little kids grow up, and they all go to and go all go to a sentencing at the same time. Yeah, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> And then they tell him that he's a lot smaller than she remembers. It felt like that. It felt like that gif. It was the gif of the little girl where it's just like, hey, I kind of want to have a boogeyman character. Oh, but is it cool if the boogeyman character is a real dude? And then the little girl goes, why not both? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Marches in the streets. Exactly. Yeah, I was, I was okay with it when it was like this kind of crazy, weird, like what's this sort of, uh, this sort of mystical 
box and it's got all these treasures and you know it's just like she's coming up with this crazy shit while yeah. she's struggling all that i was like okay this is kind of weird and cool and different and kind of creepy and a man i'm on board with it but then yeah when it turns into yeah then it's a dude and it's i don't know and, and, and I, I like that actor a lot i love seeing him get work uh the the giant from twin peaks who's also oh, yeah. uh he played um the butler in the adams family movies uh, all about that. Love that. Love that actor. I'm glad he's mm-hmm. working. But yeah. there is a degree of like, oh, okay. <laughs> also in uh, Star Trek. Another every, Star Trek. Every, every, everyone's in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> if you worked in any kind of drug, Doug Bradley, I'm sure was on Star Trek. I'm sure. I'm sure it was in there somewhere. Uh, but no, overall, like, I really dug the movie. I did. I dug the effects. But yeah, those last. It literally is like the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like it's very quick. It does feel like it's all like. She's in the car accident in the woods, and it's like, oh, man, this was all so creepy. Oh, but, man, she made it. And then it's like, oh, by the way, this guy was a serial killer. He ate his fucking sister. It's our husband. And, uh, he's called the Crypt Keeper guy. I'm going to go to the trial. Up trial uh, and the end. Right. It's one of those where it's like, hey, uh, hey Stephen, it's, it's got to be at least 325 pages, buddy. Oh, shit. I got uh, 20 pages to go. All right. Okay. So he's real. And uh, and here we go. I'm going to look up the Wikipedia. I want to see if I want to see if there was, like... If all that Crypt Cooper stuff was like creation of the film. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's so, I mean, it's such a strange thing just to kind of throw in because you could have had her just surviving and writing oh, yeah, a no, letter this, to this herself. Is, it's, from, it's from the book. It is from oh, the it book. is? Okay. Well, I guess I can't blame the, the filmmakers then as the, if they're trying to. Well, I guess I can because you can stay true to the book, but you can also not... Uh, make poor decisions that the that the book made but maybe they maybe that's the shit they like i don't know yeah i don't that's and that's really my only real complaint honestly was the the last 5 minutes everything else like bruce greenwood fucking kills it cuz bruce greenwood of course he did uh <laughs> carla gugino's awesome she needs to work more yeah like well, that's that's one of those crimes of watching it is i'm like why have more people not used her and that's another one where she's she's one of the main leads in the haunting of hill house Oh, good. Uh, and, good. And then also uh, Henry Thomas is is one of the main leads as well. Oh man, did you watch this one alone, or did you watch it with the? Uh, you know, I did watch this one by myself. Uh, this was one where I think it was. Oh, what was I doing? Yeah, I want to say that I was just watching this uh, one night when she was at she was at work. But I t- I did tell her about the. The soon to be infamous, if it's not already, uh, the getting out of the handcuffs sequence. Oh man, that scene, that and whole that's scene. That's the thing where she's just like, she's like, no, no, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> uh, and wouldn't be able to do it as far as watch it, or wouldn't be able to do it as far as like, hey, if you were in this situation. <laughs> oh well, she definitely wouldn't be able to do that. But she, she would. She said that she would get up and would have walked away until it was over. Oh so. man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very well done. I do appreciate oh, that. that like, it's so... terrific. It's it's so effectively good, but it's just a horrible thing to watch. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's so violent. Oh God! And Mostly, a... it, it's all the it's all the it's not even the cutting. The cutting is like yeah, it's that's, like oh that's yeah. bad. It's the pulling. It's the pulling and like the 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 created flap is what I wrote in my notes. Oh yeah, to, to where it's just that it's just that muscle in your near your thumb. Yeah. And, oh, and that's the sort of stuff where it's like, I put in here, this is the sort of shit a new Hellraiser should, should do. 
Yep. <laughs> and, and I'm like, how effective would that be if that's what you have once, you know, once Frank goes into that dimension and has that, uh, that crazy, uh, DVD holder that spins around. Oh man. <laughs> so I'm just saying there's all, there's all kinds of stuff that the, the Hellraiser could have done. And this is a really good example of something that's super gross. There's things that can happen for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it's one I'm gonna recommend. I, I just started 1922 last night. I got about oh, a half okay. hour to do it before I had to go to bed. Uh, I was not a case of, it was boring. I was like, I'm really into this, but I gotta, I gotta sleep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would recommend it, but yeah, it really is like those last, that last little, uh, murder she wrote ep- epilogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm on the same page with you. I think that most of it is, is really effective in it. And we didn't touch on it too much. Ooh, that was tough. That was a tough wordage. Um, we didn't talk about it too much, but the the flashbacks with the little daughter, um, I think, are effective oh, in a very very creepy way. So I think that those are good. And uh, you know, in, in case I haven't been quite clear enough, I do think the Haunting of Hill House is very good. I'm only three episodes in. I believe it's like eight or ten. Um, yeah, a lot of people are really digging it. And it's it's one of those where the first episode you're kind of like, ooh, I don't, I don't know. And then once it go, once it keeps going you're like oh okay and you kind of reassess some characters and reassess some scenes and uh it's pretty good and i think all the actors in it are very good especially the kids the kids are very good mike flanagan's kind of really like in the last like three years really kind of carved a little thing out for himself as like one of the go-to guys in horror which is pretty cool yeah he really has And, and especially for being able to do things that are probably not that expensive because i can't think that gerald's game is a big budget Right, because um, there's not I, very I many sets. So. <laughs> there's not I, very I, many things to do other than a car crash, really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think Netflix puts out their budgets for that no, kind of no, thing. No, no. Of course but, they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. No, but yeah, I I, I imagine. Yeah, because there was there was also something kind of fun, and I think that was also why there was a little disappointing that uh, there's like all oh, this boogeyman character. He's not real. Um, is um, because I did actually enjoy some of the like. There, the practicality of like the yellow eyes and then the red eyes and all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I, I enjoy that. And then when it was, I, I mean, those scenes, those scenes still exist. They're still done that way. Uh, it's just now it's like, oh, it's, it's actually like this. Mm-hmm. You kind of go, oh, all right. But yeah, the yellow red eyes and all that kind of stuff. Like there was something very old school about that. Like, oh, it's creepy. He's got red eyes that glow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's one of those where I kind of think of what could have been if they wouldn't have been so true to the book, I guess. Yeah, very true. So a little addition by subtraction there, maybe. So, all right, well, anything else about uh, Gerald's Game or Hellraiser or anything like that before we wrap this one up? Not that I can think of. I think we did it. We, you know, we, we've done it. We did our S&M special. We did it. S&M. There it is. That's our episode. So... If you have any comments, suggestions, or maybe more S&M movies that you want Cameron and I to, to watch, you could... There's probably some, like, 96 films, I'm sure, that had, like... <laughs> like, what was the one with Madonna and William and uh, Willem Dafoe? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's on there. You could email us if you have any... If you have the title of that offhand, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You could follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle's at plainlabelpod. You could follow me over there. I'm at ericwilliams 79 we also have a Facebook page and an account over at Instagram. Just search for Plain Label Podcast and you'll find us over there. Say that you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could check out our show notes where you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list, our Blue Apron link, and our Audible link, where, again, you can get something for free just by signing up. Maybe you want to get Gerald's Game. Who knows? 
Yeah, I do want to thank Cameron for... Uh, maybe. Maybe. I do want to thank Cameron for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you or maybe check out some of the photos or maybe pose for some photos that you do, where could they do that? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter.com slash Jurassic Alien. As far as the photo stuff, uh, Cam Rice Photo on Instagram. Uh, that's where I'm posting up a lot of stuff. I'm actually currently working on some Halloween things I just did. Yeah. Trying to get those wrapped up. Uh, some witch photos with my friend Emma. Uh, and also, I think, actually, if you enjoy... Uh, our conversations here. I do an RPG show over at Hyper RPG on Twitch, uh, called Tales, the Blood Curdling Tales from the Loop, which is very Dark Tower, Stephen Kingy. Uh, it's three hours every Tuesday night, uh, and, uh, you can go catch up on the show on YouTube over at Hyper RPG. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you for listening. And Cameron and I will be back next week with the final part of Horror Fest 2018. Oh! Yeah.